Welcome to Data Hurdles, a weekly podcast where we explore the impacts data and technology have on our day-to-day lives. My name is Michael Burke. And I'm Chris Detzel. All right. Welcome to another Data Hurdles. I'm Chris Detzel and... I'm Michael Burke. How are you doing, Chris? I'm pretty good. How about you? Doing well. I have a big birthday party for my son planned this weekend. Very excited about that. It's beautiful weather outside. It's Friday again. Can't complain. Yeah, you know, I think I'm in Dallas, so it might rain. I'm going to do a little bit of running, and I have my son this weekend, so, you know, we should have a little bit of fun, probably go see a movie and go see his, you know, cousins and things like that. So it'll be be a good family weekend for both of us, you know? Awesome. What movie are you thinking about? Well, you know, he kind of, I don't know if it's still playing, but he's he's been wanting to watch Mario Brothers, so we might go see that, you know, it's <laughs> it might be done. I, I don't know yet, but he's been talking about it. He's 12, so. You know, very cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you and I were having a discussion earlier, uh, and and uh, actually earlier this week, you sent me this article on um, it's it's an EU AI Act to target U.S. open software, and uh, you know, it was kind of intriguing when I read the article, and and what it does is kind of looks at the AI uh, large language models and some other stuff. I guess you'll kind of talk about the open source piece here in a minute um, and kind of just, you know, halting a little bit kind of the open source area around lar- large language models. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that, Michael. Yeah, I think that the reason that the EU has put this act together, and again, it's been in the works for a while. I think it's just surfacing now more than mm. ever before, but it's really to regulate the use and deployment of artificial intelligence within the EU, to continue to have kind of control over it. How is it being used? How can they monitor it? And primarily this has become even more of an issue with large language models, right? The EU is all about protecting privacy, um, protecting transparency. And I think that this new wave of technology adds yet another level of complexity to this space, which we have to work through um, globally, right? How does it qu- quickly? Uh, you mentioned privacy and, and things like that, which you know EU is known to have kind of the you know pretty strict laws already on kind of the social emailing and all these other things, as most people know. But how does large language models take people's privacy? Like I don't, I don't understand that. Like, yeah, 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 sure. So I, if you think about some of these platforms that are emerging, right? when you're entering information into them, they're saving that information, right? And not only that, but when the models are trained, they're trained off of the internet, right? And so I think that a lot of what companies or or organizations and uh, governments like the EU are kind of concerned about, and this is happening at the organizational level too, we're talking to a lot of large enterprises that have the same concerns. It's like, well, where is this data coming from? How do I know that the information that's being fed into this machine is correct and that it's going to provide relatively correct results? And I think there's concern around the implications of it. This is just left to go on its own, unmonitored, that there could be some serious ramifications for citizens who start adopting this and using this. Uh, And also what kind of information are they sharing with these organizations? And are they really aware of the implications of what could be done with that, right? I mean, if you look at ChatGPT and BARD and and those kinds of things, they pretty much say this information may not be correct. (laughs) Is that that's not enough? I mean, no, I mean, look, 
this market is exploding and you know putting a simple disclaimer like that's just not going to cut it i mean i've heard of everything from you know ai being used for things like therapy and you know uh as a one-on-one communicator to medical diagnoses right there are these things that are emerging that will have serious ramifications if they're not controlled and contained in some manner and although everybody's like well to write my like report or whatever or answer an email from my boss i'm fine with that but you also don't realize like the information that you're giving like a company a large organization right that is allowing people to use chat gpt are they just pasting emails into a large language model and saying hey respond to this are they exposing sensitive information how are they really do they understand the implications of what that could do to their company's privacy right or to their individual privacy if they're posting sensitive information so you know i think that the average consumer and the average employee doesn't think about these things when they take these actions and this is where the eu is doing a taking a first pass at trying to implement regulatory action to protect people yeah now i I do think there's some serious problems with this, right? Um, you know, and some serious concerns that a large portion of the ML community and larger engineering community has brought up. Um, but we can dive into that in a little bit. No, I, yeah, definitely want to dive into that. But, um, you know, you, you mentioned uh, earlier that, I don't know if you mentioned on the podcast yet, but we're, as we we're talking that open source LLMs aren't exempt. So meaning... You know, I just want to get clarity from you. Like when you look at like Chat GPT and uh, Bard, and and there's some others that you'll you'll mention as uh, Laura and and things like that. But you know, they're, they're not going to be exempt. They're going to be liable of you know that information, right? I mean, that's what you, the European folks are trying to do, right? Yeah, and and let's let's step back for a second yeah, and yeah, say yeah. like you know what is the real focus of the ban and how yeah, is it yeah, affecting yeah. companies, right? OpenAI, Amazon, Google, all these big organizations that are releasing generative AI models. Um, you know, what they're essentially saying is that you have to restrict access, right? These companies aren't allowed to just provide open access to their models. They have yeah. to register through a process. They have to provide source information and details about the use cases, right? And this will significantly disrupt the current business models of these companies particularly services that are heavily reliant on these API-based interactions with AI systems. Um, And so to your point, open source large language models and other platforms that are providing these API interfaces aren't exempt from this. And so that's really scary because what does that mean, right? If I work at a university or I'm an individual and, and likely there aren't individuals, doing this kind of work with LLMs because they're very expensive, but I release a large language model, open source it to the community and say, this is a research project, right? Well, if anybody takes that model or those APIs that I've hosted and does something that's operating within the EU, I, as the open sourcer of that technology can now be held liable, right? And so having that liability shift to the group of employing the software or helping bring it to market is um, is scary and something that I think will drastically hinder if this goes through what will be published online, how information will be shared, how innovation will be shared. And I think that that's 
the wrong way of thinking about um, regulation, right? We should be enforcing tracking and 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 um, monitoring and looking at the sources of these data. How are these models being trained? Enforcing that they have to register or at least explain the sources that these these models were trained against. Yeah. But to hold somebody who's open sourcing code liable just seems like um, complete and utter nonsense to me. And I think it's risky. I think it's going to stunt innovation. And it's going to cause a lot of unnecessary fear in releasing new technology that shouldn't exist. Yeah, that is kind of scary. You know, if you had like a, I think you mentioned that a student that kind of comes up with this project on, you know, like you said, large language models that, and then just shares it to open source it and just for fun, just to see if people can do some stuff. And then they start doing stuff and then actually use it. And all of a sudden, that kid that started it could be liable for, you know, uh, for stuff, right? So and it just, it just to me, it is infringing upon, in, in many ways, like your freedom of speech on the internet, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. What at what point, if we go down this road, will we stop? Right? Like we're saying, oh, it's just because it's these large language models, you know, and it's very hard to track and control how they're being used. But to me, that's nonsense. To me, you know we have to find better ways and better alternatives to track and regulate things rather than banning the capability to publish information in the open source community. Well, and, you know, the open source community has been doing a lot of stuff in the, in the past. I mean, it, they've been doing it for a long time, you know, and so they're used to that kind of stuff. So to actually kind of, it will debilitate them or it will, you know, hurt them in a big way. It's, you know, uh, you know, when you think about innovation and, and things like that. So it will be interesting for sure. Um, you know, when you kind of look at, uh, uh, I know you want to talk about uh, Laura. So tell me about her. <laughs> so Laura, <laughs> which is, uh, uh, you know, essentially a interface or application called low rank adoption of large adaptation of large language models is and would be essentially banned. And so what is Laura, right? It's a technique to slowly add new information and capabilities to a model cheaply, right? You think of mm. some of these uh, large language models, they cost a billion dollars plus to train. Right, because yeah. of so many so much information, billions of parameters, you know, your average researcher or even university can't afford to do that kind of information, that training on their own. So they use these techniques and these platforms to modify and amend and uh, adapt new technologies onto these existing models, right? And so if we are going to ban the use of these kind of open source models, what we're in turn doing is really banning a lot of opportunities for education, uh, individuals, people who are interested in exploring these types of new technologies, um, you know, and they won't be able to do, run these experiments, which are both significantly cheaper and safer and easier to check than mm -hmm. having to run these entire programs on their own in silos, right? So I think that, you know, when you talk about the balance of and the ramifications of what an act like this could do and what are the intended consequences, there's a big misalignment. And I don't know if the EU has really fully vetted that or if they're still exploring this and hoping to provide more revision. I hope they do. Um, you know, and it's not just Laura, you know, Langchain, all of these other similar types of applications and implementations 
that are going to run into huge issues um, and prevent innovation moving forward. You know, when you look at companies like OpenAI, Amazon, Google, IBM, et cetera, um, and this ban, you know, can you talk about what that means and what what that means for companies in the U.S. like that? Does that assume it affects them because people in Europe is probably using it right now too? Yeah. Well, I think for them, it, it actually is in some ways better because it means that they are pretty much the only people that will have access to this technology, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> They've open sourced it. It's out there. Um, but if they have to pull that back in some way, I just don't know how that's going to going to happen, right? But likely, if this ban was to put be put into place, right, the you know AI models would likely slow down the pace of AI innovation, right? The usage of these models would be drastically reduced. Um, it would disrupt a lot of business models for some of these emerging tech companies, which are starting to form around. Um, large language models, generative AI, and create significant barriers to entry um, for smaller development firms and startups, right? And I think that's what you're going to see if something like this goes into play is really fragmented ecosystems, like these tech ecosystems where you've got the big players that have all the power and running and building these models, and then the little guys who just can't compete, right? And that imbalance is gonna have significant impact on the opportunities for smaller organizations to be competitive. What do you think it does to, uh, sorry, I'm going off script, but it, it when you look at all these companies talking about, you know, they, they've created their own chat, something, something, you know what I mean? Like, and, and uh, uh, they're using these APIs from, it could be uh, OpenAI or others, you know, to, to start building their models and using it within their technologies and companies. Do you see that? I mean, because right now there's this but, boom of companies like, oh, we're using chat ABC. You know what I mean? We, we now call it this and we're doing this thing now. And, you know, it's AI and everything else. So there's a huge hype around that. So what does that particular act do to technologies that want to adopt fast you know what i mean yeah i mean it stunts them completely right i mean i'm sure that there are going to be workarounds just like every other eu act where there's another thing on the term sheet that you have to accept saying that you're not you know Mm -hmm. in the eu or something like that but at the end of the day you know you have to kind of weigh the pros and cons on this and to me you know, just taking the stance, even if it's not entirely effective as a first pass, is going down a path that's opening up the door to a lot of problems in the future, right? When you start banning open source technology because of the threat that somebody within your country might use that technology and holding the open source or liable, I mean, that just is a total imbalanced, you know, reprimanding of the wrong person in my view right like if you write a paper about jumping off a bridge and somebody jumps off a bridge (laughs) should the person who wrote the paper be responsible right like that's that's kind of what we're saying here and i just think that you know putting that much um legal liability on an organization which is doing something which ultimately will better the rest of society in the world in my opinion 
yeah. is, is the wrong way to, to go down. And it opens the door for just any new technology to be vetted and kind of judged the same way. And that's the thing I'm even more scared about. It's not even large language models. It's what's next. You know, what freedom will we not be able to publish or open source technologies because of, you know, um, one lawmaker that disagrees with it, right? And how will that impact innovation in the long run? No, that's that's really well said. And uh, you know, what are you what do you think going to be some of the penalties for some of these companies that make unlicensed models available, like in the EU? And how do you think yeah. it impacts you know the the operations of smaller businesses? You sort of already touched on. Yeah, so I know that like the fines are massive, right? I think that the EU is known for giving putting up these massive fines. So I think this one was what are my notes here? 20 million euros or 4% of their worldwide revenue, right? Uh, so again, I think that, you know, when we talk about this stuff, also putting it into the context of why they are passing these rules, it's to go after the chat GPTs and, and the, you know, large organizations that are publishing models that are worth billions of dollars and have billions of dollars, right? But I think that it's it's not about that intention of where this actually gets enforced. It's about passing a law that is going after the open source community right i think yeah. that's where that's where we have a huge a huge issue you know and i think that there are better ways to um to enforce accountability authenticity and traceability with these large language models than simply going after the end user like that in such a layman's simplified way how do you think you know when you look at that act being enforced how does that managed? <laughs> That's a great question, right? <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, I think that what they're going to do is, uh, you know, essentially the same way that they've enforced any of these other regulatory actions before, where these third parties can sue nation, uh, national governments to compel fines, right? Um, and really, like, you know, what this does is it ultimately creates conflict with American developers and businesses, you know, potentially forcing them to adhere to EU regulations, even when operating outside of the EU. And I think that's the thing that we've seen with GDPR and all of these other regulations is that most of the large companies just say, forget it, we're just going to operate one way because it's too costly to try to comply to different regulations to different geographies. So we're just going to change all of our policies across our organization. And when you look at something like this, essentially what I would see is saying, okay, well, we're not going to open source any more large language models. The billions of dollars that we're spending on these, we're just going to keep them private because it's too difficult. We don't want to get fined. Yeah. Right. And so what that means is like, imagine everybody's stuck on chat GPT 3.5 for the next 10 years. <laughs> And these large companies are able to work magic and do everything else, but nobody else has access to that because of the fear that these large companies have of being sued for 4% of their global in, you know, income or whatever, right? Yeah. Uh, and so what does that do? It, it's going to drastically change the course of how everyone else innovates with these technologies moving forward. Yeah, what do you think uh, are some of the main provisions of the act? that'll have like a significant impact on development of AI systems in the EU. I think you kind of mentioned this, but. Yeah, so this is kind of interesting because they have a lot of ambiguous wording also, 
like mm -hmm. they say, high risk AI projects, right? Um, with their anticipated functionality. Um, and so there's also like ambiguity on what's required to comply, right? Like there are these registrations that you'll have to do with expansive risk testing. You know, we don't really know what that means. Um, third party assessments to be carried out by various EU states. What are those assessments? How are they going to work? Yeah. Is it going to be worth it for an organization to invest in this type of process? Or is it better for them just to keep a lot of this stuff, um, you know, outside of the EU and, in, and, and not open sourced, right? And I think these are the calls that these large organizations will have to make. And yeah, this will and have to happen for every version too. So take into account that it's not like they can just do it once and say, yeah, it's the same for every version will have to go through the same rigorous process of working with governments to have validated tests. And we all know how fast governments operate in general. This is going to slow down everything, right? It takes them 10 years to, to build an <laughs> internet site. Um, how do you think uh, the restrictions on API usage potentially limit like innovation and affect startup businesses and developers, especially, you know, those that are located outside of the EU. I mean, yeah, what are so, these developers thinking, you know, like, oh my God, you know, like, because I also think, I'll answer, but I also think that, you know, they're doing all this developing here in the US, but, you know, you have companies out, you know, that are global, right? So they're in Europe, they're in the US, they, they're cross talking. They they talk to each other all across the world. I mean, I've been part of that to where teams are talking. I, I talk to teams in India and Europe and all kinds of different places, and we share different things. Now, I don't code, and but I assume that coders are sharing that kind of stuff too. So, what, what do you think the kind of the effect is there? Yeah. I mean, so we talked about this a little bit, right? But yeah. like, if you think of how GDPR worked, right? Some companies make you check a box saying, are you in the EU or not? They will provide specific options and functionality and features and tracking and whatnot if you're in the EU and another set if you're not in the EU and you're in yeah. the US. And they do the same thing even with whether you're in California or not, right? So some companies will probably go down the road of uh, running a similar like process where you have to go through some sort of registration or vetting to decide if you're in the EU or not, and that will dictate what kind of technology you're exposed to. Hmm. But other companies will just say, and this has been the trend for many of the larger organizations, we're not going to deal with that. We're just going to do everything the way that the EU has enforced because it's too difficult. And so what that means is that they then just would stop publishing open source large language models, right? Um, and or maybe there's a strict registration process that you have to go through as a small business um, to gain access to those. We just don't know what this is going to prevent and and um, make more difficult in the ecosystem. But it certainly will slow down innovation. And you think about, you know, educational institutes. I don't know how this will affect them. Right. When you think about Stanford, yeah. as an example, you know, a lot of these schools have have people working and collaborating from all over the world. Will they have to just comply to a standard? Will some people have access to technology and others not? How will that registration process work in the EDU space? There's a whole bunch of other challenges that I think only time will tell how this vets out if, if this really goes and passes, right? Again, and isn't amended. But these are the challenges that are certainly concerning for me. And I think that 
for anybody who's you know contributed to the open source space um it's definitely concerning on much larger levels of like even not if we're looking beyond large language models what could be next what could the eu restrict next yeah you seem really concerned about that piece um so i have just two more questions uh one is you know what are some of the implications and of the liability clauses in the act you know, for open source developers and distributors of AI software. Yeah, so we touched on this before, but but yeah. really this is this is that they are they can be held liable even if they just open source the technology, right? So it doesn't mean that they need to be doing something in the EU. If they released a model or they released a platform and somebody else did something with it, they can be held liable. And last question. Um so I kind of sat here and listened and 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 look, I mean, to me, it's there there probably has to be some kind of governance around this, right? Like, you know, I'm not saying that there shouldn't be, but I mean, it feels like, you know, they just want to close it all off and be like, oh my God, you know, UKs can't how do you feel about um this this act? And um, you know, how do you think they should go about it? So I think it's really interesting. I would, if if I was looking into this, I would probably have to go at it with a more fine-tuned approach to how is the model being used, and I would restrict certain areas. Right? Yeah. If there is an area that's going to cause or potentially cause a lot of bodily harm to individuals, right? We need to start thinking about what are the ethics of using a large language model, and should it be used? Should it be able to respond? Um, I think also, you know. We, as an organization and in, in, in a country and a, uh, you know the global technology community, really need to think about building ethics and better guidance of how we should be using these types of technologies, right? And that doesn't necessarily have to start um, with blanketed enforcement of these registration laws and honestly i don't think that those are going to solve any of these problems that are going to emerge anyways right so it's really about transparency i do think that there needs to be more transparency around documenting source systems what data these models are trained on who's updating and changing them who's responsible for that right if millions and tens of millions of people start building platforms on top of these that make critical decisions on people's lives what happens when there's an update to that source system data? Who should really be held accountable? And what are the intended use cases that we should be allowed to build off of these platforms? Um, and at the end of the day, like, and I think this is the most important thing is really kind trying to evaluate what could happen in a worst case scenario and what could happen in a best case scenario and trying to weight things in a circumstantial way by project. And, and the same way that we have you know, deployed large pieces of technology in the past. When you think of cars and trains and buses, right? Mm-hmm. Liability, you know, self-driving cars is a whole nother area is really important, right? And it's really more of a balancing act and a case-by-case act than passing these blanketed laws that are going to affect innovation. Um, and I think that's where we have to be thinking about things and the mindset that we should all be in as we develop new projects within this space. That's a great conversation, Michael. I think that, you know, it's an exciting time that we're in. Um, you know, it, it, it has opened up a lot of questions and, you know, uh, you know, once chat or once uh, OpenAI and 
Microsoft came out with ChatGPT, man, it just kind of opened everything. And then, you know, people finally started looking at it and, 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 you know, the floodgates are open, but, you know, there's governments and countries looking at, you know, what they think they should regulate and looking at the risks and things like that, which they should, but sometimes some go too far. And that's kind of what I'm hearing from this potentially going a little bit too far, but, you know, Europe does do that sometimes, you know? Well, look, and I think that everything that they're doing is in the best interest of their citizens, right? And I don't think that they're doing anything with malice intent, but I also think that, you know, stunting innovation and growth is not the solution, right? And I'm sure that it's a gray area and there's going to be repercussions from any decision that is made. Sure. But we have to keep innovating. This technology is here and it's going to continue to be here for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Well, Michael, thanks again for another Data Hurdles I'm Chris Detzel, and I'm Michael Burke. Thanks for tuning in. All right. Don't forget to rate and review us. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye.